0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: It's pitch black and we're walking along a beach. Kids and their parents are casting torches across the sand, scouting for tiny holes. They're looking for a certain crustacean, one with nasty claws.
2: Oh, there's a crab!
1: Hi, I'm Miyuki Ranta. and on Earshot, we're crab hunting on Poroma which is also known as Coconut Island. It's in the Torres Strait, halfway between the very tip of Cape York and the bottom of Papua New Guinea.
3: So, finding a crab, we'd have to walk along the beach, and then you can find the tracks. They're pretty small. You can see the tracks of the uh,
1: same, we call it pukas, and then you can see a little hole into the sun, and that's when you start digging into it. With the focus on these tiny crab tracks, Bigger issues aren't on people's minds, like the global conversation around climate change. But Parama is on the front lines. This tiny island is just two kilometres long and 300 metres wide, and it's becoming smaller. But the islanders are fighting to maintain their land and revive their traditional culture and language before it's too late. For our Shifting Cultures series, Siobhan Hegarty travelled to the Torres Strait to meet these agents of change.
0: Poruma feels like a village in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. There's one paved road, an airport, a primary school, and two grocery stores, which usually open in the afternoon. It looks like a postcard paradise with towering coconut trees, aquamarine waters, and rainbow-hued houses. But like many islands in the Pacific, Purim is facing an existential threat. We have faith in God, and we'll
2: stay here I don't know for how long. Because yeah, we've got our families died here. So it's very hard for us. You know, people can say,
0: move, but we can't. Climate change is having an impact on the island. There are more king tides and they're higher each year. And coastal erosion is eating this island at both ends. But Auntie Nora Pearson, who's a former chairperson for Porama and now a full time grandma, tells me it wasn't always like this. We've
2: worked on land, we cultivate our land, we are grandmothers, grandfathers plant vegetables, corn, watermelon, pumpkin, while our grandfather went out, die for pulling, and they bring back seafood, all the shells,
0: dry fish, and that's how we lead. In your lifetime, have you seen the island shrinking?
2: In my lifetime, I've seen it. You're on this side, you can't see the other side before. It was lovely. It just bush and everything was just a
0: long way. But now, you stand here, look, you can see. Auntie Nora has a wicked sense of humour.
2: Oh, <laughs>
0: when I first met her on the island's jetty, she told me her name was Elizabeth, a practical joke on The Clueless Journalist.
2: Liz would say no. <laughs> would say no, but Nora, I don't know.
0: Her house is near the western end of Perama. It's the area where strong winds and waves have chipped away the sand, which has uprooted and knocked over trees. Four years ago, a one metre high sandbag wall was built. Now it's the only thing that stands between her home and the pounding waves. We can hear that
2: waves beating against all the sandbags being built to keep that water away. And without the sandbag. Our house, and that house up there, the blue one there, it would have gone. Because there were some families living there. And every time in that what night when the strong wind and the water come against that,
0: it'll come in the yard. Yeah. That's the Francis Pearson is the current elected yeah. councillor for Poroma. And tackling coastal erosion is one of his top priorities.
4: These are the, these are the Sitting
0: in his office, he pulls out an old book and, and points to an aerial photograph of Porumar, taken 30 years ago. It's amber. shocking how much land has been lost.
4: Yeah, from the um, southwest of the island, there areas about 50 metres has gone. The, the amount of vegetation has been taken away with it. So. Um, Big loss of land, we've lost it.
0: That looks like about a quarter of the island in 30 years.
4: Yep. And the saddest thing is for me that uh, I've spoken to one of my uh, older cousin that uh, when he did his planting, it was there for his grandkids, his kids to go and take a fruit out of it or the leaves to do their grass cut for dancing which they never had a chance to do that. Our coconut tree was gone. Erosion took it away from me.
0: But the locals on Purima are trying to keep as much of the island above water as possible. The rangers have been firming up areas that are at risk of erosion by using traditional land caring techniques.
5: So, all these shields here, these ones here,
0: mm-hmm.
5: we planted that in 2014.
0: These
5: big ones? This one. So it was 2014 we um, planted those. This one just recently. My name is um, Freddie David. Okay. I'm a senior ranger for Purma. Most of our work based on work on country and care for country. We do things like um, revegetation, sand movements, data collection as well. Seeing the island washed away, it's like you, you take a piece of something from a heart and you leave a hole there. I think if that part will come back, it'll patch the hole. It will cause the healing. It's very emotional to see our island washed away. I guess the elders are f- feeling more.
0: As a ranger, you're measuring changes in the environment. With the rising sea levels every year, do you feel like you're fighting a losing battle?
5: We know we're fighting a losing battle, but we won't stop. (laughs) We know God is on our side. And also the government is on our side. We know government is fighting too, as well.
0: When Freddie's not working as a ranger on Purima and the surrounding islands, he's a pastor at the Power of the Spirit Ministry. It's one of three churches on the island, and according to the 2016 Australian Census, 97% of people on Purima are Christian. The Power of the Spirit Church is impossible to miss. It's a bright orange timber building with yellow windows and a sunburnt red roof. The colours feel joyful. But when I step inside the church, I realise they're also the colours of fire.
2: Anglican is where you were baptised with the water. Pentecost, you baptise with the Spirit speaking in tongues. But this feast here now, we call them feast, Passover, Pentecost and Tabernacle. This one here is when you baptise with the holy fire with the fire. His eyes were like a flame of fire. The flame speaks of judgment. It's us. And on his head were many crowns.
0: Pastor Flory is a fire and brimstone style preacher. She's not keen to chat with me, but standing behind the pulpit, she's a force to be reckoned with. Mm -hmm.
2: Time is running out. Day of atonement is the last day. You never any other day of atonement. This day is
5: the last day. The day of fire and fire. <laughs>
0: Christianity's been in the Tar Strait since 1871. When the London Missionary Society first came to the region. Among islanders, the anniversary is celebrated as the coming of the light. For the people of Purima, known as Purimalgal, Christianity arrived in the form of other islanders who'd already converted to the faith and become deacons or priests. Auntie Nora is a devout Christian, but she recognises that when the locals gained this faith, they lost parts of their culture. Christianity cut some of, you know, shape and
2: size and all them things that we used to do before. And Christianity came, kind of trim us. But we still got our culture, a good culture. We need to pass down to our generation the culture. Otherwise, with our culture,
0: we are dead. And this morning, culture is on the menu. In our town, we call it Kapmari. So, it's a traditional ground oven
3: where we use it to cook our meats here yeah, for feasting traditionally. So, first, we'd have to dig into the ground. Not so deep, though. You just can
0: see we've got leaves, firewoods, and all that. Yeah. Those are the stones that's to put on top to help cook. Nikki Mackie is what's known as the healthy lifestyle officer on Purama. He's passionate about keeping cultural traditions alive and strong. Well, as you can see here, this is just one of the practices we do in our culture, passing it down. Just
3: having them to top up their experience basket for future community, something beneficial for them too. So it's, it's everyone's job, whether you're a boy or a man, this is what you do when it comes to Kapmore Come
5: Come. yeah. I mean next yeah misherk marshul
3: kapu bailut ngau nel philipon mosby ngai kolkalaik purmanungapha good morning my name is philipon mosby and i'm a purman man from the kolkagal nations in the central Torres strait i'm a christian but i understand that through my Christian belief, God's given me this culture. And God's given me his word to understand my place in my culture. To me, it's not intended to separate me from who I am or make me forbid my culture.
0: But when the missionaries came to Poroma, they condemned certain cultural practices and they pushed locals to speak English instead of their traditional tongue. Today, they speak a Creole.
3: They were deemed as being evil and demonic, and a lot of the elders, they heard stories of other places where there was harsh penalties for people practising their culture. And so I think a lot of our people were traumatised by a lot of the stories they've heard. People wanted to be in a position where they weren't seen as blacks or natives as such, but reaching out for a better life with a different identity.
0: Philemon says Christianity has only ever been one form of spirituality on Purama there are deep beliefs still rooted in this land and its people.
3: So as the Torres Strait Islander, our spiritual beliefs exist in two worlds. One is by the Christian values and principles, and the other one is the spiritual beliefs according to our kingship structure and system. So there are spiritual laws in both worlds, and no matter which religion people are, They still practice the cultural, spiritual belief as to how we connect to this place, to the animals, our environment, whereas our spiritual Christian belief is about where we're going after, you know, life after death.
0: Philemon's a busy man. When we caught up, he'd just flown in from a UN event in Taiwan where he was representing the Torres Strait. He works for the Torres Strait Island Regional Council, maintaining and reviving traditional culture and language across all the 15 islands. His family totem, the whale, resonates when he's feeling stressed. It comes from his mum's family, who are from the eastern island of Myrrh.
3: In Miriam, Mir, it's called galbol. And galbol is translated to sprouting water. And the Miriam people believe that it's the biggest fish of the ocean. And it goes on its own course. It travels uncharted water. They might look big, but they understand the world around them is bigger than them. And I feel that at times. Sometimes, if I feel like I'm the only one, oh, yes and you feel overburdened, but your totem reminds you that this is your calling, this is your purpose.
0: Philemon was raised on Purimah by his grandmother. She was one of the last remaining fluent speakers of the island's native tongue, Kulkalkalya. But thanks to Philemon and others on the island, a new generation is reviving and reclaiming this sleeping language.
1: Henry, you're right. Welcome back
0: to Term 4. I'm at Coconut Island School. And it's the first day of Term.
1: Good morning, Miss Samakie, Mr. Mosby. i um, I said, um, good morning, my name is Makaya, my mother is Sesam, and I'm from Purma. My name is Mr. Eldridge Mosby. From 1964...
6: I was teaching until 2019. What's that make? 50-something years? I'm not a classroom teacher anymore. I'm just teaching language. When our traditional language has been introduced into school now, first of all, the children, you know, because they didn't hear our language before and they thought that it was so funny. (laughs) Yeah, so sometimes they laugh about it, you know, about how the words are pronounced, and we always you know, encourage them, you, you shouldn't laugh at our language. This is our traditional tongue. So now, at this present time, they understand. Right? Whatever the word is, they no longer giggle about it and laugh about it. And they all are taking things seriously.
0: Is it restoring a sense of pride in the community and in the students to reclaim this language that was sleeping?
6: Yeah, yeah, that's right. We're all proud about our students, how they speak, how they learn. It's only little every time, you know, for the year they learn, but we're getting there. We can see that we will benefit. Our community will benefit and the school will benefit.
0: And for Permalgal. Reclaiming their language is also a way to connect with the land and the sea.
3: My grandmother gave me the opportunity of both worlds. She wanted me to learn English. She wanted me to do a lot of things. But she never stopped talking to me about my language, my culture, the stories of survival, the stories of determination. And I never really understood all of that. But as the days turning to months and years, the picture is slowly becoming together that we don't need to be strangers in our own land. True custodians of land is when we understand our land, our environment, and our environment understands who we are as the custodians, as Purmagal people.
0: In 2004, the people of Purima were granted native title of the island and the surrounding sea. But with the effects of climate change on Purima, some are starting to ask when they'll need to leave and maybe move to another island or the Australian mainland down south.
4: We have this uh, native title situation and uh, it's, it, you, you can't just move from one island to the other. No, no, it's not gonna happen. If you go to another island, then you'll face a problem or somebody else will tell you this is not your home. You've got to follow the guideline here, yeah, and this is not what I want to hear. If we move down south, it'll make it very hard for us because we're not uh, land hunting people. No, we see hunting people. Not like our brothers and sisters, Aboriginal brothers. They know how to do that land. It's easy for them not for us. It'll take a long, long time to learn how they identify a certain area, how they aren't it, whereas we can say this is the area that our dugong will come next or you know this is the area the dugong being before if the experience of the the elderly people here and uh, the tide tells us this is a good time to go on um, fishing for crayfish, or for mackerel, or for whatever, you know. It's been underdone for us, and uh, it's become part of our life. And if we move away and go to mainland, we've got to adopt a new life, and we don't know how long it will take to get used to it.
0: Yeah. And fishing isn't just a tradition. The livelihood of many locals depends on the ocean as I found out at the tiny Tinshack airport. What do we have in all these Uh, boxes? Crayfish, live crayfish. So they're going from here to
2: Horn, Horn to Cairns, and then probably a day or two they get shipped over to China.
0: And how many kilograms are we looking at? Um, These are 100 kilos. All from around the waters of Perma.
2: All from the local divers. (laughs)
0: But global warming could change all of that. Scientists monitoring the sea level and sea temperature rise around Purima have said that warming waters could kill the coral and affect the sea life. Some of the residents, like Jim Larry, say their concerns aren't being heard. In January 2014, he was part of a protest on Purima. At the time, the island was being lashed by a king tide. It swallowed most of the jetty and weakened vegetation around the coastline. Since then, the Queensland government has committed funds to extend Purimur's sandbag seawall. But the islanders are still waiting.
4: Well, governments have seen on news about this island, another island in the Torres Strait, that what is happening, and nothing seems to have happened. They've been crying for the last 20 years from the Torres Strait. I remember when I was a young boy, we used to play down there and there was trees going out. No longer there because of the erosion.
0: Despite the perceived lack of action to combat coastal erosion, Jim Larry believes the island will remain his home.
4: Let me tell you this, I'm a man of faith. My God will heal this land. As a matter of if this is erosion, this place will be healed. Everybody else, this place is sinking, it will never sink as long as God resides in this island.
0: But Purimogal's strong faith doesn't negate the fact that they need help.
3: It does get to that where you say, enough is enough. We need action. We don't need it tomorrow we don't need it next year we need it yesterday
0: and do you think because of that because of the lack of response people on this island have received and lack of assistance it kind of makes sense that they would put more of their faith in God than governments to look after them
3: I believe so But how this message is aired or conveyed needs to be done really thoughtful and careful, because we don't want the Australian government to think this is an alternative or this is an escape God, We believe in God, but we do not believe in God so that others can neglect us and forget that we are part of this country. We are citizens of Australia. We are a dying race of people, First Nations people of this country.
4: This Lord, let your peace, your love,
0: your joy be with us. Give us strength and comfort, Lord.
4: Sustain us, oh God, this time. Father. It's be
0: Saturday God. night and the families on the island have gathered for kai kai, a potluck feast. Pastor Frank Fayud says grace before everyone stands up and heads to a huge table covered with food. There are salads, seafood, of course, and vegetables that were cooked in the Mari. After dinner, a curious toddler in a floral shirt runs up to a drum that's sitting at the front of the room. Traditional singing and dancing erupts around him, and he manages to keep the beat. Tonight, the kids are just having fun. They're not dressed in traditional outfits, but their dance moves have been passed down through the generations. Some of the adults on Puruma perform around Australia as part of a group called Urab Dancers. Philemon's their manager, and together they're creating new songs and dances that reflect the shifting times for this tiny community in the Pacific.
3: We've actually gone through like a season where you know you pull out all the old songs, the old dance and you start to run out of it or you look for fresh ideas and you're trying to be innovative as always and the songs and dances that we've sung for the last how many years is a credit of what our ancestors have done, achieved and their determination. But what is our story today to pass on to our future generations? And so that's created a real desire for new songwriters and obviously new choreographers. So that has now made people be taking more ownership in, okay, if I'm going to write my story, then I need to learn my language. And so there's this beautiful collaboration of generations, multiple generations, where once upon a time, you didn't have intergenerational learning of languages, and now you do. Where you see the younger ones are writing their story, then shifting their story in this modern world and society they live in. And by translating it into their traditional languages, they're moving their story into this ancient world.
1: Survival and Revival in the Torres Strait was produced by Siobhan Hegarty. The sound engineer was Russell Stapleton and the supervising producer was Claudia Taranto. And next up in the Shifting Cultures series, we're off to Malaysia, where some Muslims are living in polygamous families you'll hear from a female Sharia court judge, a former second wife, and a polygamous husband about how they're navigating the complexities of multiple spouses. I'm Miyuki Ranta, and I'll catch you next time with more Earshot.